Hey guys, welcome to the Cam Show. I'm your host, Cameron, and this week we're going to take a look at the Artemis program. Here we go. So my guest this week is once again, or again, going to be Dhruv. Hey Dhruv, how are you? Hi, I'm pretty good. Yeah, it's great having you on the show. I mean, these past few episodes have been a lot of fun. Yeah, I have to say it's really a lot of fun to uh, record these. So it's good to be here. I got the new setup. I'm in my closet. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, I've made this kind of like cave in my room. So, yeah. Exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Okay, so why don't we just get into what we're going to talk about today? Yeah. So uh, let's just go over an overview of the program. So Artemis aims to land the first woman, uh, the first woman, and the next man on the moon by 2024, and they're going to use new innovative technologies to explore the moon and the lunar surface uh, in more detail than ever before. Uh, in addition, the program will establish a consistent and sustainable exploration program by the end of 2028. Yeah, and this mission has the ultimate goal of achieving long-term habitation on the moon. And it's intended to be a stepping stone towards future exploration, maybe to the moon or Mars or further. I really like the idea of having the moon as a staging ground for Mars operations, because, you know, We've never really ventured out of Earth's magnetic uh, field. So a lot of really interesting stuff, right? Yeah, that's true. You know, some days I like to wonder how far will we go, right? Yeah. Will we leave the solar system someday? That would be really amazing. But I hope we like, yeah, the, the Kardashev scale. I hope we slowly build off of that. And then that propels us to, you know, eventually become a galactic species yeah yeah i mean thinking about the stuff is really exciting just as it is and then who knows how it could be when it's a reality thankfully that reality is going to be really soon uh the artemis program will allow nasa to demonstrate and test new technologies necessary for future exploration uh one of those things is the previously mentioned um uh how will life survive outside of earth's magnetic field Yeah, and it's an opportunity to broaden our commercial and international partnerships as well. And it'll help inspire a new generation to pursue education and careers in STEM or science, technology, engineering, and math. And I think this is something that we tend to forget a lot when we're talking about these sorts of things. Like we think, you know, we always think about where are we going? What are we doing? But we never think about the social impact that it has, like between nations or just how it impacts individual people back on Earth. Yeah, and I guess that's a really important thing about this is, as you said, educational careers. That's the that, Our world needs to move and emphasize education even more. Education is already very heavily emphasized in first world countries, but there just isn't enough outreach and implementation of education in third world countries. And I feel like that's the number one step to raising our species to the next level. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think so. You know, when yeah. the people are more educated, the better technologies you're going to get. 
Exactly. And another issue that like falls off of that is if everyone has their own basic rights and their basic needs, um, it allows everyone to innovate more. Like if everyone, if no one has to worry about food, then without worrying about food, they can, they can worry about making a Dyson sphere. Yeah. That's how we, you know, became a civilization, right? Exactly. As soon as we started farming we know and you know uh domesticating animals we no longer had to worry about hunting and gathering and that opened up more technology so you know it's the same thing here but far higher on the technological scale yeah so let's get into a history of artemis drew if you want to tell us a little bit a, bit, a little bit about the history in early 2019 nasa announced their next project would aim to bring humans back to the surface of the moon by 2024 which if you ask me is a pretty ambitious goal it was I named really Artemis after the. Oh, I was saying I really look forward to how how quick this is going to happen, and I feel like it's taking us so long to get this far into space travel that it's about time we have something permanent. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, uh, what I was saying before, it was named after Artemis, uh, the Greekess of the Moon, and she also happens to be the twin sister of Apollo, which was the name of the previous moon missions back in the 1960s. That's awesome. I mean, connecting our future to our history. Yeah, that's amazing. And okay, so this is where the episode is going to get a little more technical. Mm -hmm. In fact, the majority of what we have here is mostly going to be talking about the technology that we'll be using to return because I think, uh, and I think Cameron would agree as well, that a lot of this is really interesting. And these are things that have never really been used in space travel before, especially manned space travel. Yeah. So one of these technologies, it's going to be the exploration ground system. Uh, This includes all the structures on the ground required to support a launch. And all the facilities at Kennedy Space Center will be upgraded to support the upcoming missions to the moon and beyond. And it's uh, one of the major upgrades you may have seen recently is the upgrade of Launchpad 39A, the one where the very first time humans launched to the moon uh, to stay in launch pad. But if you look at it, in the 60s, it used to be a red steel structure. And if you look at it right now, it's a black steel structure with glass windows and this really futuristic looking uh, dock. Yeah, that was, you know, when you look at the two uh, pictures, like before and after, it's a big improvement. Yeah. So um, the Space Launch System, SLS, is a powerful new rocket developed by NASA. Uh, it's designed for deep space exploration, and it's going to be the first deep space rocket since Saturn V. And I also think it's going to be the most powerful rocket uh, from NASA since they retired the Saturn V. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that is going to be true, you know, given technological progress. And I think one of the most impressive things about this is that it can be put into multiple configurations, you know. They really made it modular for uh, different uses and to lift different amounts. So it uses modified RS-25 engines, which are what they used on the space shuttle. And it also uses liquid hydrogen fuel. And the most powerful of these configurations that we previously mentioned can provide 11.9 million pounds of thrust. And it will be responsible for sending cargo to the moon, Mars, and potentially beyond. And this puts it quite a ways above the Falcon Heavy in terms of thrust, which I think only... um, can give five million pounds i think yeah i'm not sure 
Yeah, the Falcon Heavy, as advanced as as it is and as powerful as it is, it it doesn't quite match up to uh, SLS. And uh, one thing I really like is the fuel they're using. Uh, Falcon, uh, Falcon Heavy, Falcon Nine, they still use kerosene. Uh, and most other rockets are using solid rocket fuel, RP one. Uh, so, seeing a switch to hydrogen fuel, um, of course you're going to have oxygen, liquid oxygen fuel, because you need that as an oxidizer. So essentially, all this rocket emits is water. Yeah, true. Yeah. So the crew module, Orion, is built to take humans uh, into space farther before it'll it'll launch on top of the SLS, and it's designed to carry the crew into lunar orbit and transfer passengers to the gateway. Speaking of the gateway, um, that will be an outpost that will orbit the moon, and its main function is to provide support for long-term human return to the lunar surface. And this includes the Habitation and Logistics Outpost, or the HALO. I like that name a lot. (laughs) It's a cool name. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's the initial crew cabin for astronauts before they descend to the lunar surface. So this will be where astronauts go um, in order to sort of prepare for their journey down to the actual lunar surface where they love that name. scientific experiments. I love how the function ties in right to the name, like Halo. Like, yeah. Uh, got a st- you, like, you're doing staging. And then I, I imagine this to be like really epic. Like, come on, you like three days in outer space or not outer space, inner space, I guess. And then you're just there. And I can't wait to see. I just can't wait to see Gateway out there conducting experiments that have really haven't been done before. Yeah. And it's also designed to bring cargo to the lunar surface, like scientific equipment or supplies that astronauts might need there. Yeah. So SpaceX became the first U.S. commercial provider under the Gateway Logistics Services and will help bring cargo and other supplies to the Gateway. Uh, NASA also recently awarded Northrop Grumman and uh, an Artemis contract to design and build the Habitation and Logistics Outpost, the HALO. So Gateway will be likely supported by NASA's ISS partners to help add additional improvements to the outpost, such as external robotics and additional habitation units. This really shows how much it's going to be just like the ISS in terms of modularity and expandability. Yeah, I heard Canada is already on board to build, uh, you know, advanced robotics for the outside of the station. And <laughs> the Canada arm. Japan and the Canada arm, once again, strikes back. Classic. And Japan is building uh, habitation units, I believe. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, so. It's exciting to see all these countries coming together again, you know, do the same thing, but way farther from home. Yeah, and th- that's really exciting, you know, just to see the same collaboration expand to not just one station, but now two. Yeah, so uh, I I think you might have a lot to say about this. How will they get to the lunar surface from Gateway? (laughs) That's my specialty. (laughs) So uh, NASA partnered with American commercial space companies uh, that will dock with Orion or Gateway and take the crew safely to and from the lunar surface kind of like a really advanced elevator, right? So NASA selected three companies, uh, Blue Origin, uh, Jeff Bezos's company, and they're making the integrated lander vehicle. It's, a, it's, um, it's more like a, uh, those exercise balls 
that you see in a gym. That's exactly what it looks like with like a box of mechanics around it. And then the next lander is Dynetics, which is developing the Dynetics Human Landing System, a structure that will provide ascent and descent capabilities. So this ship, it's a collaboration with, I believe, 32 government contractors uh, all working together uh, under Dynetics to create their human landing system. And finally, uh, SpaceX, which we all know is somehow going to develop Starship as a fully integrated lander. And they kind of revived their carbon fiber design for this. But I feel like if Starship, if we can see a Starship out there, that is, that really symbolizes this next generation of spacecraft. Yeah, definitely. I think Starship has become really a symbol for commercial space and yeah. progress in general in this industry. Yeah, and I, th that's what I love about, I don't know how, I, I just, I'm still surprised how SpaceX somehow landed the contract because SpaceX, I don't yeah, that's know. That's crazy to see. Yeah, NASA really did not have a lot of faith in SpaceX very up to really recently, up to the launch. But I'm surprised. And not not even just like a, Felc like some f modified dragon, but like Starship. They SpaceX planned to launch Starship in 2025, I believe. Not not really soon, but it's exciting to see that it's going to be operational really soon. Hopefully, operational really soon. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of lunar landers and getting to the surface, while they're on the surface, they'll be wearing some new Artemis Gen spacesuits. And, you know, I have to tell you, I was a little disappointed to see that it went back to the traditional look of spacesuits rather than, you know, the sleek new SpaceX design that we saw a little bit earlier. But I have to say, you know, you might want to go with that because it's a lot safer. And now mm -hmm. they're not just in a capsule anymore. They're actually on the surface of the moon and outside in space. I have so to say. I, I can agree with that. Yeah, and I have to say, uh, I'm, I'm, I just found a photo of it. I'm actually really disappointed. Um, it, it looks like those really low-quality toys of astronauts. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, it's and really the back... sad to see. <laughs> I believe you called it the pumpkin last time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, no, I think the pumpkin's going to be a flight suit. Is it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Not sure. But the suit itself, the suit itself. Um, yeah, I'm, I know I'm kind of at a loss for words. I think the older suits look a li little bit better. I think most of that comes down to them being just so iconic, you know? Yeah. That's what you think of when you hear astronaut. Yeah. I also like their like little oxygen tank. It looks like a Mac Pro, the new Mac Pro. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, so these new uh, suits are called the Exploration Extravehicular Mobility Units, or XEMU. And they're specifically designed to uh, help astronauts explore more of the lunar surface. And, you know, we surprisingly found a lot of information about these. And so they have a lot of improvements to them uh, in, you know, comparison to the Apollo generation suits. So, they have dust tolerant features to prevent lunar regolith from inhalation and contaminating the suit systems. For those of you that don't know, regolith is basically a fine soil that's on the surface of the moon. And it's basically the equivalent of very fine glass shards. 
and inhaling it can really damage your lungs. Yeah. And it also provides advanced mobility to allow astronauts to move more smoothly while protecting them from the heat and radiation, specifically oh, so bending and rotating hips. And uh, yeah, you can see. Yeah, that, that, those were those really weird like rings all over the suit. Yeah, I think so. Interesting. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it allows for bending and rotating of the hips, increased bending of the knees, and it has flexible soles as well. <laughs> Comfort. There we go. Something that's more appealing to the everyday person. Surprised they didn't have flexible soles earlier. Yeah. Uh, so they also have new shoulder enhancements that will allow astronauts to pick up objects and move their arms more freely and easily. And I believe their goal was to allow astronauts to be able to lift something above their head. Oh, that's good. Which was surprising. Uh, I, uh, you know, when I read that, I was like, wait, you couldn't do that in the old ones? Why, why wouldn't you make it so they could do that? Yeah. I mean, what if someone wants to say hi when you're really far away? That's true. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that more that increase of mobility will be really beneficial in establishing a permanent base there, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think you have some more inf uh, information about the comms in the suits. Yeah, so the new suits have a heavily upgraded communication system. Uh, the current headsets, sometimes referred to as Snoopy caps, can be really sweaty and uncomfortable, and they may not follow an astronaut's movements very well. So the new audio systems include multiple embedded microphones that automatically turn on when the spe wearer speaks, much like, I mean, th the technology we have in our phones now that we carry it with us every day. And it's also going to have uh, in um, improved speakers so that the astronaut can hear better. That sounds great. So, uh, you know, this program really means a lot for the future of space travel. You know, it really sets in stone that we are, you know, the space race is not a one and done thing, that we are really committed to this and we're going to keep going further. And so, you know, it marks humanity's return to the moon, but it also opens up the possibility of Mars and deep space exploration, like we've said a lot in this episode. Yeah. Um, I'm. All of the stuff is really exciting just to see. And while we're researching this, or while we are researching this, uh, there's a lot of stuff that we never really expected to not be implemented. Definitely. Yeah, like you never really expected them to, the, com the communications to be that bad. That was one thing that really stood out. So I guess, at, like just like everyone knows, your phone is way, way more powerful than the computers used to launch astronauts to the moon in 1969. So it's great to see how we're improving that technology, but I still feel like they're still holding back, right? right. Because the stuff in our phones in 1969 was state-of-the-art back then, back then. And I'm not really seeing that much right now. Yeah, for sure. And if successful, this could result in the colonization, colonization of the moon, which is, I mean, it's been a dream of a lot of people for quite a while yeah. to live on the moon or go on vacation there. Uh, so there's one book, and if you guys haven't read it, and if you're listening to this and you haven't read it, go check it out. Just like the program, it's called Artemis. It's written by Andy Weir, the same author who wrote The, um, the Martian. 
And Ruth, you remember in Artemis, right? They set up an entire yeah. moon colony and all sorts of macroeconomics. And I'm sure the book does a much better job of explaining this in more detail. But it takes place in the 2080s. And it's really exciting to see that that the city, Artemis, might be a real thing in the coming years. I love that book. It's such a good book. Like, honestly, Andy Ware's only written two books, but both of them were such good sci-fi stories. And, yep. you know, he really takes uh, a close eye to realism. You know, he really pays attention to making sure all of his things seem at least somewhat scientifically feasible. Yeah, and I love the attention to detail he takes to that. Yeah, and also, I have to say, I was really shocked when they actually revealed this program, you know, in, uh, I think, early 2019. And it was named Artemis, and the book was already out by then. I was like, wow, did he know that they were going to name the moon program Artemis? <laughs> I was yeah. like, what is, it's too good to be true. Is this exactly. a coincidence? No. It, it was literally like two years after our, um, Andy Weir released Artemis that they named uh, the program. Also, I think Artemis is going to have a movie, the book. It's supposed to have a movie. It's supposed to come out this year. I think they're moving it to next year. Well, if, if there is a movie, you know, I'll, I'll definitely see it. That, you, know, you know what would be too. really cool? It's like on the very first Artemis mission, they just have that movie playing. <laughs> oh, that would be... Yeah, that would be pretty good entertainment. I mean, you yeah. know, the astronauts have to do something on the way there. It's a yeah. long trip. Yeah, kind of like how when SpaceX launched their Falcon Heavy on their initial launch, they played Life on Mars by David Bowie. Yes, they did. That was yeah. awesome. That was awesome. Yeah. I, you know, putting pop culture into space, it, it's its fun to see and it's more engaging for people, for the everyday person. Definitely. Something about Artemis that actually applies to real life is the potential of mining on the moon, which was a big part of the story there. I'm not going to spoil anything, <laughs> but mining on the moon plays a big part in the main story. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense. The moon has a lot of valuable resources uh, for us back here on Earth, like water, which, you know, it's water. We need water. Yep. But also it can be used in rocket fuel as well. It also has helium-3, which is a rare element that could prove to be vital in future technology, like uh, nuclear fusion reactors and rare earth elements, which are, you know, mainly used in uh, electronics, computers, phones, all those things which, you know, there's no shortage of today. We really need those things. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, an abundance of those could really, I think, decrease the price of technology. You know, maybe a phone could be $20, $30 cheaper. I, I don't know the economics of it, but... Could yeah. Be. Yeah, and I guess mining on the moon will really... It'll save our, our like, Earth itself because we're using less of earth's valuable resources and hopefully we can take that ideal like jeff bezos's goal is to move factories and manufacturing into outer space or into orbit and we instead we could just move that to the moon if uh, space flights become cheap enough it'll be very commercially viable for companies to set up, do manufacturing on the moon instead of on earth and that saves our we could even create a like from the exhaust uh, we can create a kind of like a we can terraform the moon. Yeah, that's true. 
you know, uh, move manufacturing and, I don't know how well and terraforming the moon is going to do. It might take a while. Oh, I I don't think. I mean, it's possible, but it won't be as it won't be as satisfying as terraforming Mars. Terraforming and, Mars know, is one of the things I'm most looking forward to. I won't be yeah. alive to see it for sure. But, Are you sure about that? You know, I mean, you never know. The technology is like yeah, Neuralink. It'll take hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. The techno- like technology I mean, maybe, is like Neuralink. Maybe my body won't be around yourself. to see it. Yeah. Um, what, what, my body won't be around show. to see it, but I will be. <laughs> exactly. Just upload yourself to the to the framework. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the moon may one day serve as a rest stop for sorts allowing spacecraft to stop at the moon, refuel, and go to Mars. Kind of like st- Starship, where they would refuel in orbit. Instead, they can just make a stop at the moon and then go straight to Mars. Two and one for one trip. Yeah. You know, when I was writing this, I actually started thinking, would it be easier for them to just, you know, stay on course instead of having to land on the moon and then refuel and then go back and leave the moon's orbit because you know the moon doesn't have as much gravity as earth but it still has gravity so would it be more efficient to just skip the moon altogether well i guess you could use the moon as a gravity assist another gravity assist oh yeah that's true oh yeah so one thing we didn't talk about is orbit of the gateway so gateway's orbit is going to be in an elliptical shape kind of like an oval and at the very height of that oval the farthest point away from the moon the astronauts on Gateway will be able to see the moon and the Earth at the same time. For the first time in history. That's going to be beautiful. That I can't wait to see that photo in yeah. not even 8K. I want to see it in 500K. I want to see yeah, 500 you know, megapixels. That picture will be as, as iconic as the blue marble picture that people, you know, that they took on yeah. the Apollo missions. Where you, the, the I think it was called Earthrise, I think. Earthrise, Just yes. Just the Earth over the lunar surface. Yeah, that was an iconic picture of that era. And I think if they take a picture of the Earth and the Moon for the first time, that would be amazing. Yeah, and I really can't. I, I'm sure, just like everyone else, I can't wait to see seeing the Moon in 8K. Right? Like, back then, yeah. that was probably maybe almost HD. Uh, that was almost 1980 by 1920 by 1080, but seeing that in 8K full frame, that that's that's going to be a beautiful sight. We can finally see new details that we never really got to see before. Definitely, and you know I'm thinking about it. That's a huge step for man. You know, you see the moon and the Earth. You know, the place that you came from and the place that you looked at for so long. And then you go there. Like I think about this, and it's crazy. You know, we went from having literally nothing to somehow turning rocks and metal that we found in the ground into something that we could leave our planet from. Like today, we think of all these things as normal. You know, things like cell phones and computers. All these things seem normal, but if you think about, like, if you showed them to you know your ancestors or you know uh, early humans. They wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes to show how in, I mean, for space flight in the past 60 years, it's been just a straight climb up. 
and who knows where we're going to be by 2080. You never know. We might be in Artemis. City That's on the true. moon. Yeah. I think that should about wrap it up for this episode. Yeah. Uh, maybe next episode we can do like Falcon Heavy versus SLS or maybe the Mars Rover versus Astro B or something like that. So uh, let yeah. us know. Um, thank you, Drew. It was great having you on the show and I look forward to the next episode with you. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Yes. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have a comment or if you, if you want to leave some feedback or just interact more with us, you can follow us on Instagram at camshowpodcast or uh, you can find us on anchor.fm slash show and leave a voice message. And finally, thank you so much to Drew for making our new intro music. Let us know what you think. Once again, find us on Instagram or leave us a voice message on on anchor and feel free to leave a rating and review see ya and ad astra